Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. Welcome to our show. Yeah, it's good to be here today. I have to admit, Nathan, I am a little afraid to be here today talking with you. I think that that makes sense because we're going to be talking about fear. And that terrifies me. (laughs) (laughs) And it it should. All of us, uh, if you're human, you've experienced fear. Actually, even animals experience fear. But we're going to be talking overall about the kind of fear that you may not know that you are participating with on a daily basis. So when I think about fear, uh, the first thing I think of is arachnophobia or agoraphobia, you know, things like fear of spiders, fear of going out into, well, claustrophobia, fear of small spaces. Is that what you're talking about with fear? Um, The same system in our body is involved with that kind of fear of what we're saying, but that's a very obvious and specific type of response that you can anticipate, right? You can just not go into an elevator that you're afraid of and totally avoid it. The thing that we're going to be talking about is more related to the experience that you're having during the day when maybe, for example, anger comes from a fear-based place. So, And that's not 100% true, but the vast majority of the time it is. So when you start to understand where those things come from, you can start to try to uh, be different and realize like, oh, what am I afraid of? And try to process it that way. So for you, well, let me share why I thought this topic might be good for us to talk about, even though I think there's some certainly fear going into talking about it for me. Um, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on why this is a good subject. But a lot of this whole podcast for me has been about facing some fear. I knew that as a therapist, a business owner, and just even as a person, I wanted to get a little bit more personal about the things that I think about, the things that I'm wrestling with. Obviously, as a therapist, I'm in the room with somebody else and I'm thinking about them and what's going on in their head, their issues, and I'm helping them. But I'm also a person as well and I'm thinking about things, I'm experiencing things, and I've carried all that experience with me. And this podcast is all about sharing that stuff and processing some of it, you know, for me as a person behind that therapist hat. So for me, a lot of this subject is sort of looking at it from a different angle or maybe from a more personal perspective. So I'm really excited to kind of dig into it and put myself out there and talk about how I experience it and maybe share some of those experiences I've had or some of the thoughts that I have around it for other people, see if it resonates with them. And I know, you know, when you get into some of the fear triangle stuff, you and I will talk about different roles or positions on that fear triangle that we experience differently. You and I have talked about this quite a bit about the role that you tend to take on, the role that I might tend to take on. So I'm excited, but also kind of scared to get into that because I think it affects so many of us. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it. What about you? What are you interested in? Yeah, I think um, overall, there's a vulnerability, right, to doing this kind of thing, because you're coming from a perspective where you're trying to explain like what you're saying, the things that are going on in your own life when you're sitting there with a client, and also what it's like to be outside, just being a therapist somewhere else. And the realization, too, that 
this is the kind of thing for everyone, right? Like lawyers, you know, doctors, everybody kind of has their job that they go to, but that affects who they are. And part of being a human is that we all have needs. Everybody has a need to be accepted and belong overall. And therein lies the fear, right? So when you're, you're a human being sitting across from another human being trying to help them, and the reality is, is that you also have needs to be accepted and to belong. And you have to somehow therapeutically for yourself and for the client not let your needs invade that space. So you have to be aware of them. Sometimes it's important to just call them out, like how something made you feel. Well, maybe a client attacks you, like which has, I'm sure, <laughs> happened to you. It's happened to me. That never happens to me, actually. All my clients love me. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't challenge them at all. So they, It's always a big hug fest. Yeah, I think as you're saying that, I'm realizing that's a good way of putting it. I've had the experience with a lot of people where I find myself maybe being more patient or more understanding, I just would say more like emotionally available to people than what I maybe think I should be or wish I would be with my family at home. Like maybe it was coming off of a, you know, an evening where I just was really impatient with my wife or my kids. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, why was I so impatient? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here with somebody and they said something or they did something that might be frustrating to a lot of people. But I'm like, compassionate and understanding and sensitive. But I'm realizing that I was able to sort of put aside that need for acceptance or belonging to be there for them. And that's actually really hard to do to put that aside. I think maybe as a therapist, it's easy to do because this is my nine to five, so to speak. And so I know I'm supposed to do it. And then once it's over, I sort of let that guard down. (laughs) I get home and then I'm like, okay, I need stuff now. (laughs) And as a person, you know, I feel like I can do that for short periods of time or I can do it intentionally. But man, it's really hard to pay attention to that and to do it really, really consciously. Yeah. What you're getting at, like, and I totally agree. I was just talking to my wife last night about my own hypocrisy because I can sit here and do this really well and then at home not be present like I need to. And I think what I'm learning is that When you need something, like you need to belong or you need to be accepted, you need it from the people that matter to you the most. You need it from them. You know, not that clients don't matter, but it's a lot easier because of the natural distance of not really knowing everything about a person or needing them, you know, for whatever reason, that you can hold the distance and be inside your true self, as I would call it, when you're with the person and be able to be empathic because you're available because your fear that you might not belong, you might not be accepted, is not present. Because, uh, you know, for us, this person's came in asking for help. Seeking me out. Like, literally, yeah. Specifically. Yeah, Yeah, and there's there's even payment involved, which kind of holds everything accountable. Um, And so you just, we just are able to participate. And, like, therein lies the oddity of everything. Like, as you're listening to this, the reality is, is you probably are better at connecting with maybe some friends or people that are a little bit more distant to you than you are with your partner. It's most likely that you might even wonder like, how do I do this? I get home and they're making these, they're making these statements and you think I'm not that person. I don't do that. And so you offhandedly reject it. And I would challenge you to say, you probably are doing that. Like that's one of the things that, and especially, I mean, I'm not saying that it's, that it's extra for us as therapists, but it really kind of does suck if you think about it that like, you know, 
we know literally are trained in the way to help people and to be human to people, and then we don't do it at home. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, so maybe for some of you listening, thinking, oh, I wish I could you know, have the skills and training that you have. Yeah, it's great at times, but also to know that you have the skills and the training to know what you should be doing and then to watch yourself not do it. And then to be like, oh, man, I just I didn't do it. Like, why didn't I do it? It's painful. It's difficult. So like, yeah, awareness is good on one hand, but also ignorance is bliss at times. But let me kind of stay high level here. So we're not talking about arachnophobia. We're not talking about any specific things. We're really talking about fear of, you know, you talked about what acceptance and belonging. And this kind of leads into the fear triangle that we have talked about over the years and developed. And we've got a a handout that I put together we can uh, put on our show notes page. Talk to me a little bit about fear as it connects to this fear triangle. Like how did that for you develop and I guess put that in context of like everyday life and these relationships we're talking about. Yeah. So to go a bit big picture up front for perspective, uh, back in, uh, I believe it was 1969, this guy named um, Eric, no, excuse me. <laughs> that's the, uh, the South Park. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Karpman. Um, <laughs> that's Karp with K-A-R-P-M-A-N, not Cartman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, he developed this thing for, to try, he was a doctor and he tr- was trying to help people understand, alcoholic families specifically, understand the dynamic of what they were doing to each other. And it was a triangle that had persecutor, rescuer, and victim on it. And so uh, I was made aware of this by a colleague in about 2004, actually. And what happened was I ended up doing some work uh, in domestic violence at a domestic violence group. And so what would so if you got in trouble with domestic violence, you would have came to the group that me and my colleague were leading. We ended up using this drama triangle a lot. So as we're as I'm using it, I must have taught that thing back then uh, several hundred times. At some point in there, it kind of became mine, and I started realizing that this is actually the way that fear works. The drama triangle didn't do it for me. There was a bunch of shortcomings, which I don't need to get all the way into. Suffice it to say that it was actually taught to me by one of my clients who really got into it, and I was calling it the drama triangle at the time. And they went through the internet, they were, and they came back, they're like, uh, Nate, you need to not call it the drama triangle, because it's not the same thing. And I looked at what he was talking about, and I'm like, oh. So then it became the process of, what, what do I going to call this? And I realized, holy mackerel, this is how fear works. I'm going to call it the fear triangle. Fast forward, meet you, we start talking about all that stuff. It clicks with you, and you start realizing some of the applications of it, and then develop more broad and actually in some ways more specific way to be able to explain kind of what was going on. It was like, it was just this instant collaboration because the thing of it is, is that when you get this, it just makes sense and you can expand and take it a a lot of different ways. But the helpful nature of the fear triangle is it makes your own fear a bit predictable to where in the same way that you would want to avoid an elevator because you're claustrophobic, you can also anticipate how you're probably going to respond in these different situations, and you can catch yourself while you're doing it. To be able to have a framework, and I love that, 
that predictability aspect of it. I've got this framework for people, whether they're individuals coming in talking about their relationship, or maybe it's a couple that's coming in and they're describing their cycle. I can start to get a picture if they do fit some of the dynamics of the fear triangle. I can get a picture of, okay, it sounds like you might be the persecutor and you might be a rescuer and okay you've moved around into becoming a victim and when that happens okay yep yep you went over to this this role over here and the other person flipped over there and then i can start to sort of predict that you're you're going to do this or do that based on those roles i love that that framework to be able to predict things and the thing for me that was really helpful was to put some specificity to it in terms of some of these other layers of like attachment, you know, because each one of us has a need for attachment. We've got an, a specific attachment style as well. That's out there. We can talk about that at some point in the podcast. And there are lots of other podcasts and videos out there about attachment styles, anxious, anxious, avoidant, secure, those kinds of things. But the thing about the fear triangle is that when we have these specific fears that are rooted in these experiences that we've had, we each person has like a certain sort of defense mechanism to sort of protect ourselves. And that was the thing that from my point of view was really interesting because as somebody who sort of self-identifies more from a persecutor role with you, somebody who, as we were talking about this, identifies more with the rescuer role, we were able to sort of look at this from the two opposite perspectives of the triangle and make some clarification because in a, a surrogate way with one another, very safe. You and I don't have this pattern with each other. We have it with other people. So we can sort of surrogately talk about what it's like to be, you know, a rescuer to a persecutor or a victim of a rescuer sort of a thing, and then put some details to it and flesh this out over time. So that's been really, really helpful. I think it would be turning a corner here, helpful to hear about so the interaction between these two roles. I know you have this saying, like every persecutor needs a, you know, sort of right, tell, right. tell us about that. I think there's certain rules to this triangle. And one of the rules is that you cannot persecute a persecutor, you can't rescue a rescuer, and you can't be more of a victim than a victim. The other piece, the other rule is that, and this is what makes the fear triangle highly addictive and sucks you in like you're falling into a vortex, is that um, it doesn't care anything at all about the truth. It only cares about feeling better. And so it's basically just how emotion moves around. Um, it's like that old game where you like move the little pieces around a board and then you try to find the hole. Let me jump in yeah. for a second here because um, I think that's awesome. But you like flew through that like yeah. it's second nature and it's, I'm sure it is. You've talked about this a lot. Go back to that first saying, you can't persecute a persecutor. Right. So when somebody's coming from a place of fear and they are, they have a fear-based place, right? It's, the, it's kind of like you own it. So everybody has four core wounds. Everybody that you know, of course, except for me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he has all four of them. <laughs> you guys only have one or two. <laughs> right. Well, we and we have actually all experienced all four of them, and those are abandonment, betrayal, rejection, and unacceptance. But even when I said those, and I did say them fast, you're going to hear one of those just a bit more. Maybe like fifty-one forty-nine. Like a, one of them is going to resonate with you, right. like jump out off the page, so to speak. Right. So if let's say that you yourself have a wounding of rejection, and 
um, your partner also does because you everybody has w- woundings all in all four, but you have a higher dose. What that's going to do is it's naturally going to move your partner to the persecution side of the triangle. It just is going to do it because the victim place of the triangle is kind of where we get to just totally accept that we are the pile of steaming bad things that you kind of think that you might be or hope that you're not and and feel that you are you know because the idea of being a victim is like i've been victimized and that feels terrible and if those feelings get too big or unruly or we don't have any context for them then those feelings can actually then begin to define ourselves our identity and our situation like though this is the way it is i am a victim right and one of the things just off the side that i want to say real quick is when i put this fear triangle up on the board um people look at the rescuer right off the bat and they think oh that's cool that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) like no no it's actually not cool no they're all bad (laughs) yeah so um, (laughs) i want to be the least bad one (laughs) (laughs) right so maybe a simple way to look at it too would be that the persecutor comes from the simple belief of, I don't know if I am lovable, but I'm not going to let you know first. And a rescuer comes from the place of, I could be lovable, but I have to be helpful in order for that to be true. And a victim just goes, I'm not lovable at all. I'm just not. From the triangle's perspective, when somebody gets, and this is kind of another rule, when you have that fear-based response and you are now on the triangle looking at it that way, you're trying to rescue somebody or you're trying to uh, persecute them or you're being a victim, your vantage point is the triangle, which means your belief is that other people are on the triangle and they may not be, but you're treating them like they are. So, And in fact, I might even say from a place of belonging or needing belonging, wanting acceptance you might actually suck other people onto the triangle so that you're not alone on the triangle with your own fear. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so rescuers need a victim, and so do persecutors. And a victim needs someone to show up. Like, I can't just be a victim and be like, nope, like, who victimized you? Oh, I just was in a room by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you did it to yourself. No, no. Yeah, so the thing thing that is, uh, you know, and my heart goes out to people, including myself, you know, in the idea of being a victim. Because what's happened is in that despair, what you really are wanting is to be rescued. But you're so desperate that if a persecutor shows up, that's also going to be fine. I'll take that. Like yeah. some other person needs to be here with me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's where that phrase "misery loves company" comes in. You know, at least if I'm going to be miserable, you can be miserable with me. And uh, you know, in some ways, I've found that that's how people stay in some of these abusive relationships is because the abuser is at least a companion. You know, if you're not a safe companion, a a hurtful, harmful companion, at least you're someone and at least I'm not alone. Because if I'm alone, then, yeah, all those things that I thought or believed about myself as a victim are true. And look, I'm alone to prove it. Right. So we're getting into a place of getting maybe even needing to go more specific. I'm wondering, Aaron, if you could speak a bit more to the your integration, some of the more the specific things, but also the kind of the things that you brought to the table, fear mm-hmm. triangle wise, when you were, what, what you noticed, what was you were struck by? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, w- I want to stay high level because I think we're going to need to unpack this over the course of several different shows, maybe one for each of those roles, so you can understand. You know, what is a persecutor? Um, sounds terrible. Sounds like it's somebody who's <laughs> like really violent or something, and it's not. 
Now, it can be, but it's not. Um, you know, what's a rescuer and a victim and all that. But to answer your question, uh, the thing that I thought of, and I, I put this in the handout, was as I was working with people and understanding this rescuer side and looking at myself and understanding more of this persecutor side, I was realizing there's an element of like safety and protection that is different between the different sides. So for example, I think you've talked about it like these distortions of love and distortions of truth on either side, where a persecutor might distort truth and love and boundaries by putting up way too many walls to protect themselves. A persecutor definitely is a is a victim who's really, really afraid, but they'll use these like big thick walls to protect themselves. Whereas the rescuer, on the other hand, is going to take down all their walls and try to pursue the other person, pursue the relationship and like maintain connection and they're willing to like sacrifice themselves and admit that they did, you know, everything uh, in order to let the other person off the hook, so to speak, in order to maintain the relationship. So this idea of boundaries, that's kind of been something from my background that I I've studied a lot and I focus a lot on, I talk with people a lot on, I you know, was just talking with you before this podcast about this e-course that I'm developing on boundaries. So this idea about distorted boundaries and how that affects love and relationships and how we see ourselves in relationships was another component that was really interesting to me. Right. And that, and then the interaction, of course, in, in light of all of that with like the victim who kind of just distorts the idea of vulnerability. The reality is, is what connects us as humans is actually vulnerability. Right. And so these two, these different distortions that you were sharing about actually cause us to be not vulnerable. And it's funny because like what I'll typically tell a rescuer is I'll say, you really are, you're distorting compassion. You're going to need to do, be less compassionate and have more boundaries. And the first thing they'll say is, well, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to be mean. Right. And you talk to a persecutor, I'll say, well, you need to actually have less boundaries and have more compassion because they got to balance out. And the persecutor will go like, well, I don't want to be walked on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, That's exactly what I'm trying to prevent. <laughs> right. And so and for the victim, uh, at the point of vulnerability, they kind of have this, I knew it. I'm a horrible person. Um, they don't understand that that in that vulnerable moment they were okay and they were safe to do it because they haven't been safe they've been victimized because here's the thing when do you realize that you're hurting it's like when you got hurt so this is why some people have no problems with some things and other people have problems with those same things because they have been hurt in those situations and you may look on and go like well i guess i understand how you're where you're coming from with that but you know that won't happen to me um and so you're able to be vulnerable in those situations. But if you've been victimized there, uh, being vulnerable is very difficult. Yeah, and I think the last thing I'll say as we, as we wrap up this episode, because uh, I want to expand on this a whole lot more um, in depth with each one of these. But on the other side of that with the vulnerability is responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because as I was looking at this and, you know, talking with you about it and, and investigating it or examining it for myself, I was realizing, yeah, yeah, I already know. Like I've, I've got this hurt over here and this is where this comes from. It's like this intellectual knowledge. But there wasn't a sense of responsibility or ownership that I was taking that I think I brought to this fear triangle concept, which was, Mm -hmm. okay, so I can say that I'm hurt, 
but that doesn't mean I'm taking ownership of it because taking ownership of it means that I'm not putting that on somebody else. I'm not saying um, I'm hurt and you hurt me and it's your fault and therefore it's okay for me to do whatever. Like, okay, that might be true. Maybe you did hurt me, but that doesn't give me the right to do something in response because that's just fear operating. And so for me, when I was looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, I've been hurt and what does that mean? Like, I, l- let me be a little bit more specific. When I was looking at the victim, I kind of had trouble connecting with it because I saw it as this like, oh, you know, this happened to me and woe is me sort of a thing. And I, I just, I didn't, I don't want to be that way. But the more I looked at it, the more I realized actually deep down inside beneath all that, those layers of protection and defense is a hurt that's like, yeah, this is really awful. And I just didn't want to take responsibility for it because that would be really sad. That would be really painful. And so instead, I would choose this other role like a persecutor and I would stay there in order to like not really fully have to take responsibility for it. But once I did take responsibility, I could see, okay, yeah, I am hurt and I need to do something about that. And I need to be vulnerable about it in order to heal and recover and to be healthier as a person and in my relationships. So that was another really, really key component for me as I was studying this. Right. Yeah. And I think the the implied piece of the vulnerability that you're totally exposing with a lot of specificity is this idea of open and honest which are, if you think about it, those are, those are actually the two sides of the coin of the fear triangle that get distorted, right? Because persecutors don't want to be open and rescuers are not going to be honest. Um, so when the vulnerability, it's like taking the ownership and responsibility of like, yeah, this is what I really think. This is what I really believe. Um, and being open and being when you're open and it's, uh, it's funny because our, our neurobiology is actually built for this. We totally receive what's going on when your kiddo is paying close attention to you they are literally taking you are like writing a dvd in their head um totally right there and that's can be scary like writing the story of what's going on like a narrative and a yeah an identity you know something you said too that um that that struck me that or that reminds me of is in the marvel movies or the marvel comics the hulk I, well, I, I haven't read the comics, but in the movie, uh, The Avengers, I remember the Hulk goes through this like big sort of personal struggle. And at one point, he finally sort of develops some, I don't know, some awareness or some ownership of his issue. And he's talking with this woman, Black Widow, I think is her name. And she and he was describing his, his he, like he's angry or whatever. And she's like, well, that's scary because like when you become angry, then you know, you turn into this monster. So how are you going to handle that? And he's like, well, I'm always angry. The admittance of being hurt. So bringing this full circle in terms of fear, the connection here is that, okay, yeah, I can admit that I'm, I'm hurt and that I'm afraid and being vulnerable about that doesn't mean that I'm not going to get hurt. It means that I actually might get hurt. I might still get hurt but not being afraid of it and saying, yeah, okay, that's a possibility. And I need to accept that as a possibility for me is where I was like, wow, that's really powerful. Where trying to avoid that really put me in a position of like almost powerlessness because I was so afraid. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good example actually with the Marvel Hulk comparison. It's kind of funny. You know, the truth is it's everywhere in the culture. And once you start once you really kind of get this fear triangle thing, and I think that, you know, you're, you're probably starting to think more about it right now. It's everywhere. 
it's it's everywhere. You can you start noticing those responses everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably this is a good place to to break for now because everything else at this point gets starts getting really specific. Um, what are your thoughts, Aaron? That's good. I hope that as we've talked about some of this, I think we've done a pretty decent job of speaking to the persecutor role, the rescuer role, and a bit to the victim role. Hopefully, as you're listening to this, one of those resonates with you. Well, I guess I should say, I hope it doesn't resonate with you because that means you're not in the triangle. Because um, the whole point of the triangle, you know, you talked about the, the drama triangle. There's a word before that that he called it. That was the dreaded drama triangle because you just don't want to be on it. Um, but if something does resonate with you, I hope that you will continue listening. And as we expand on these things, you will find yourself in one of these and be able to unpack, like, what is it that I'm really afraid of and how can I take ownership of it and be vulnerable to break free from from that? So with that, um, stay tuned to our follow-up episodes as we unpack each one of these. And um, thanks for listening and thanks for letting us share some of uh, our experiences and some of our vulnerabilities with you. Yeah, thank you very much and uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course.